Okay, so today, uh, I'm not gonna say it's a quick video because I have no idea how long this is gonna take. I'm gonna try and be quick though because I need to go and upload this and my upload speed in my house is crap. I have to go to an internet cafe and stick it in there. The download speed is great. Um, and there's no point in me paying, paying for the big fiber optic broadband because I'm not staying here for much longer. So there's no point in doing that. So uh, we're gonna talk about how uh, to break the pattern of abusive relationships. How do you break the pattern of abusive relationships? Well, this doesn't apply to everybody, but it applies to 95% of people. So I'm just gonna surge ahead with it. The first thing is to understand that your abusive relationship with a romantic partner is gonna be a reflection um, to a significant extent of the abusive relationship you have with one of your parents. If this is a sticking point for you, or you can't admit that you're in an abusive relationship with your parents, you should probably stop watching this video now. It's not gonna be useful for you. If you're okay with that and you can move forward, um, we need to establish that what happens is something that is creepy on two levels. Let's talk about the two levels of creepiness of abusive relationships as it pertains to parental relationships. Uh, creepy level number one is that um, if you're a guy and your mother was abusive to you in a certain way, perhaps she was very volatile and very hard to please, then you will seek out volatile, hard to please women in order to solve the puzzle of love itself. Um, if you're a girl and you had uh, an emotionally distant father who was simply not available to you, a narcissistically self-involved, emotionally unexpressive father, um, you're trying to solve the puzzle of provoking and invoking that love. Um, on an audio recently, I talked about the Clive Barker book, The Hellbound Heart. Excuse me. Back down it goes. Lovely. Uh, the Hellbound Heart. Uh, if you ever saw the Hell, Hellraiser movies, the dude with all the pins in his head. Um, the horror movies are pretty gross, but uh, I enjoyed the books when I was a kid. I enjoyed the films too. Um, what that story is, uh, Hellraiser, is actually a story of heartache, is actually a story of heartbreak. Um, you'll notice in the films that uh, the main guy, the chief Cenobite, uh, angels to some, demons to others, when you, when you summon him, you summon him by, you get hold of a box that looks kind of like a Rubik's Cube that's black and gold. It's called Lamarcon's Box. And if you play with the box for long enough, you open it and you solve the puzzle. If you solve the puzzle, you open a gateway to hell itself through which these demonic characters called Cenobites come who torture you into an altered state of uh, transcendent consciousness. This is the book. This is the book. The particularly interesting thing is that uh, the chief Cenobite, um, who's, who's called Shippe Totek, but in the films we're just called uh, Pinhead, he uses hooks and he literally pulls people apart. He hooks into them and then yanks them in opposite directions until they're pulled open. And this is a good metaphor for what happens in the abusive relationship. Hooks are placed into tender parts of the body, uh, the physical body, which represents placing hooks into the tender parts of the emotional body and then yanking them in opposite directions to cause an explosion. Um, so why am I talking about the hellbound heart? So the abusive and painful and hook-ish heartbroken relationship. The, the hellbound heart is the heartbroken heart. Um, the heart. The heartbreak that you experience with your parents is then gonna haunt you for the rest of your life unless you get healed, unless you get therapied and get it sorted out. And you'll play it out. So 
you as an adult, this is creepy level number uh, number. Not the creepy level number one is that you're mirroring your relationships as an adult with your relationships with your parents. Uh, somebody asked me in one of the videos, "What about if you're gay?" It it's it actually then opened up. I've moved beyond the Freudian model, which would be it's a, a, a son's relationship with his mother and the daughter's relationship with the father is the template. Uh, so you have like the uh, Oedipus complex and the Electra complex. But when I started to look at what happens if you're gay, it made me go a level beyond that because actually what happens is you're just modeling off the most emotionally significant and potentially abusive parent. So whichever parent gave you the most emotional abuse or whichever parent gave you the most emotional significance, that's who you model it from. That's where you get your template for this is what love is. And that's the Lamarckand box puzzle that you'll be trying to solve for the rest of your life. A tempestuous alcoholic father, an emotionally distant, vain, um, you know, histrionic, sexually obsessed mother, whatever it is, then you will play that out. So you could be... Uh, you could be a guy with a father who was a total covert narcissist, butter wouldn't melt in the mouth. He's a minister. He's the chief Buddhist at the local temple. He's, you know, running charities all the time. And then lo and behold, this guy finds himself, in this example, we'll say he's not gay, he's heterosexual. He finds himself with a woman who mirrors his father's traits. That's pretty fucking creepy. Uh, the creepy level number two uh, not only are we modeling that in childhood, this is what love is, and this is the, the puzzle of love that I need to solve, but creepy level number two is that we then seek unconsciously, without any conscious volition, volition and without consent, to replicate those relationships, to resolve them as adults. So there's two levels of creepiness right there. What do we do about that? Um, I got asked this question yesterday, and I said, well, you know, first of all, you need to realize that that is happening. So if you're in a, the, the, the girl who asked me the question, she's in a relationship with a guy and she feels duty bound, she used the word duty, honor bound to stay with this guy because he served his country, he's a combat veteran, he's a, a victim of war and therefore it is her duty as a good citizen to take care of him. And I was like, you know, that's nonsense, that, that, that isn't how it works. And, uh, you know, basically what you should look at is how your relationship with your parents, possibly your father, is now playing out with this guy. The next answer I get from her, this is in a YouTube comment, is, okay, got it, what do I do? This is what you do. Turn to page 55 in your uh, Pete Walker Bible, uh, Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving. By the way, thanks very much to everybody who emailed Pete Walker and said, hey, Spartan Life Coach, you should do an interview with him. He is going to do one with me, um, as soon he, he contacted me uh, last week and he said he'll do it as soon as he's finished his new book, which is pretty cool, right? Um, okay, so on page 55 of this book, uh, there is a little sort of subchapter called Parentectomy and Relational Healing. So this is sort of doing an analysis of your relationship with your parents and healing your relationships as an, as an adult. Um, not every, like I resisted for years the idea that my parents affected my relational style because it just seemed too pedestrian, too boring. I was like, no, 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 not me. It's definitely not gonna affect, I don't wanna talk about my parents, I don't wanna talk about my family, that's not where it's coming from. It completely was. So um, if you can, it would, uh, it behooves you, if you seek healing, to pay attention. Pete Walker says, I have worked with many clients who began therapy with me while they were still over-controlled by their traumatizing parents, both externally as well as internally. Sometimes the control was enforced by as little as one phone call a week. 
Not infrequently, these clients were also being overpowered and or abandoned in relationships as abusive and neglectful as the ones they had with their parents. This repetition compulsion at its most destructive, this, sorry, this is repetition compulsion at its most destructive and it strands survivors in experiencing the worst of both worlds. So the way I just described it would be in the timeline of the, of the client's life, in the timeline of your life, in the timeline of my life, your parents were abusive and now as an adult, uh, your partner is abusive in the same way. Um, and what Pete Walker is pointing out here that actually you can still be in contact with abusive parents and have the same thing being done to you by an abusive partner. People wonder why we go crazy and have nervous fucking breakdowns. Um, this is why you're getting it from both angles. You're having, you've got the original uh, uh, camp commandant, you know, the, the evil uh, um, sort of gulag uh, owner, warden, torturing you, the original one, and then his new recruit. He's torturing you during the day, and then his new recruit is torturing you at night. There is literally no escape. There is no, uh, there is no sucker. There is no place where you can go to just be calm and safe and heal. Uh, so uh, Pete Walker calls it repetition compulsion. So what I described as, uh, or have described in the past, as you are addicted to trying to solve the puzzle of love, um, that plays out in a way that is similar to the, the, the metaphor described in Clive Barker's book, The Hellbound Heart. You're constantly trying to solve Lamarcon's puzzle box. Even though every time you open the fucking thing, demons jump out and tear you apart with hooks, you then pull yourself back together. Um, and that's actually described in the book and in the film, somebody who's been torn apart by hooks, regrowing from scratch. Like he grows a central nervous system, he grows a body, he grows flesh and skin and bone. Obviously, because it's a horror story, he can only do that because his lover is bringing him victims. And he kind of vampirically rebuilds himself back up because it's got like this whole horror sort of spin on it. But that's literally, uh, not literally, sorry, misuse of the word literally there. That's metaphorically what happens with victims of abuse. This is how I describe it. It puts a lot of imagery inside your head. Pete Walker just calls it a bit more neatly, repetition compulsion. It's the compulsion to repeat the trauma over and over again, but with new characters, like a, a play that you hate, but that you can't stop watching over and over again, or can't stop participating over and over again. It kind of becomes like a, an unconscious masochistic drive. So through in-depth exploration of their childhood trauma, many of my still trapped clients achieved psychological freedom from their parents for the first time in their lives. Helping clients achieve psychological freedom from their parents, I found to be extremely fucking difficult because of the reasons that I gave you earlier of the lady who is a combat veteran who feels duty bound. Uh, you know, doesn't matter what culture you're from, doesn't matter whether you're from the Abrahamic monotheistic religions or if you're raised Hindu or Buddhist or, or where in the world you're from, there will most likely be an either overt or implicit cultural injunction that you must be a good daughter, you must be a good son. You are duty bound to take care of your parents. Thou shalt honour thy father and mother. I don't know which one of the commandments that was, but it's definitely one of them. Um, so it's difficult, it's hard to get them to let go of the idea of, hey, your pa parents are just people too, and they're just, you know, you're an adult, they're adults, and they're fucked up, and they're weak, and they have issues, and neuroses, and a bit fucking twitchy, um, and, and as well as that, they still love you. That can be really, really tricky, that can be a difficult one to convey, and it's a really hard thing to let go of, um, but it's uh, a huge barrier to progress and healing and moving forward and becoming a sovereign adult is the idea of letting go of your parents as parents, but it, you must do it. 
you're not my mommy and daddy anymore. You're just Mr. and Mrs. Smith now. And that's cool. We might have a relationship if you're cool with me, um, but we won't if you're not, if you're not respecting my sovereignty, if you're not respecting my boundaries. So once it, uh, back to Pete Walker. Once again, this was a freedom that they had not actually achieved, even though they had been living on their own for decades. Yeah, it doesn't end when you move out. You know, the nasty gulag scenario I've described on this channel here with the double binds and all that. What's fucked up about that is you leave the gulag, but the gulag doesn't leave you. That torture chamber is still there running inside of your head. And so it takes a bit more work to get it out. These clients gradually learn to live more successfully on their own without their parents over-controlling, spoiling influence. Their ability, spoiling here is used literally, he's, he's um, slightly provocatively and a tiny bit pedantically using a word that when we say spoil, oh, I'm gonna spoil you. That means um, I'm gonna give you things, cool. But if in the old fashioned way of where spoiling comes from, if fruit is spoiled, if food is spoiled, it's rotten, it's gone off. So throwing toys at children, throwing candy at children, giving them that guilty, weird, sweaty little high that lasts for a moment, that's not good for them in the long term, um, spoils, corrupts. It's like a reference to moral corruption. As Sam Vatnam would say, in the formation of the narcissist, either the child is put on the pedestal or the pedestal is put upon the child. That's how he puts it. The in, in his words, in, in Sam Batman's uh, experience of his own upbringing, the, the pedestal was put upon him. So he was, yes, lauded as, as wonderful, but objectified as a manifestation of the parent's own wonderfulness. So that's why Pete Walker's being a bit, a bit cunning here with use of, uh, of spoiling. Their ability to build self-nurturing relationships with themselves almost always correlated with a major reduction or complete severing of their relationships with their parents. So, uh, and I found the same thing to be true. But on this channel, certainly, I stopped saying it because it was too provoking for people. In the early days, I used to talk a lot about going no contact with your parents and it just freaked people out too much. It just went too much against the cultural conditioning. Um, I'm not saying that you should dishonor your father and mother for the sake of it in some obscene, you know, gratuitous way, in a completely self-indulgent, just wild, messy act of rebellion. That's not gonna help you. You must, first and foremost, I rewrite the commandment to, thou shalt honor thyself. Thou shalt honor thyself above all else, because there, there is nothing else. There really is only you and you go that's narcissism and i'm like but yeah but from a pol uh, not political philosophical standpoint you start with you you've got to honor yourself first and if other people aren't honoring you you've got to kick them right in the face or or lower than that it's it's up to you, you can kick them wherever you want but you should kick them quite hard it's a joke don't kick anyone but if people aren't honoring you you have to take swift decisive action to set a hard boundary and and push them away in yourself first you know, you don't have to give your mum or your dad a lecture. Um, I, I did at times and then at times I didn't because the lectures would be refed back into a narcissistic narrative of, of you know, me being whatever the uh, story, the black sheep story was, you know. And it, I, I saw that as I was fighting with that demon, it was kind of drawing energy from it. So I was like, oh, OK, well, that's not working. What about just withdrawal? And withdrawal works. So that's why a lot of people who are the, like the trainers or the coaches or the sort of, you know, experts in narcissism bang that no contact drum. 
because we know it's one of the few things that is almost guaranteed to work. Contact with that entity is going to let poison flow from them into you. No contact with that entity means their poison can't flow into you anymore so you get better. You don't have to go no contact for the rest of your life. You could go diminished contact or you could go temporary no contact. I have no contact with one parent. I had no contact with one of my parents for a year and a half and then I got back in contact and that was fine. It was, it was well, it's not fine, but better, much, much improved. So he says, I'll read that again. Their ability to build self-nurturing relationships with themselves almost always correlated with a major reduction or complete severing of their relationships with their parents. If your parents are abusive, you didn't consent to that, you didn't choose it, te absolvo of all the guilt that you feel about doing something about your parents, I absolve you of that. You know, you don't need to feel that guilt anymore. And they're being abusive assholes, you can take appropriate action. <clears throat> My client, Joe, who was variously misdiagnosed as schizoid, Asperger's, and paranoid, was living alone when he began therapy with me. He was extremely shut down and self-contained, but recognized himself as a freeze type from reading articles on my website. Getting him to talk at first was like pulling teeth, but over time I discovered that he was engaged in daily phone contact, oh no no, with his narcissistic emasculating mother. Through our work and tremendous courage on his part, he gradually reduced the phone contact with his mother, at first once a week, then once a month, then only major holidays, and after a few years, almost to never. Um, with you, you shouldn't um, uh, underestimate the power that your parents have over you. The ego will tell you, no, 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 that's not me. Um, but they are ultimately your mummy and daddy. They were the god, the goddess in your life for the most important period of your life from the age of zero to four. They were invincible. They were all powerful. They were the only source of nutrition and, and love and shelter that you had in the environment. They, they had the power of life and death over you. You can't tell me that 30, 40, 50 years later, they mean nothing to you and that you're completely over that. That's nonsense. They have a powerful, significant place deep in the circuitry, deep in your unconscious mind. You can't just have a phone call with a narcissistically abusive mum or dad every day. They'll brainwash your ass. They will, uh, uh, they, will, they will hypnotize you back into submission and back into trauma. It's just, it's not workable, boys and girls. It's not, it's not going to work trying to do that. When a parent is unrelentingly uh, toxic, hearing even a few words from them can trigger the survivor into an intense emotional flashback. I have worked with numerous clients who made very little progress in their recovery while they maintain contact with the toxic parent. For this reason, such clients usually require a parent dectomy to progress. There is a classic book by Bob Hoffman on this topic entitled Getting Divorced from Mother and Dad. As external freedom from smother mothering continued, Joe gradually achieved more and more internal freedom from her. During this time, he began to experience the first meaningful relationship of his life in an ACA group that for many years provided him with a great deal of positive companionship and relational healing. Joe finally concluded therapy with me when a healthy primary relationship that he formed with a group member reached the two-year mark. Okay, so um, there's a lot to be looked at in terms of parenting and its effect on your current relationships, but don't hide from it, don't shy away from it. Um, there is this thing called repetition compulsion, which I would describe as the constant drive to resolve the puzzle um, that can only lead to more and more pain. 
the puzzle can't be solved. Though the more primal parts of your brain are telling you you must solve the question of love itself, it, it, it can't be, you know, other than, other than through this, other than through this, to say, look, your mum was sick, your dad was sick, they have a problem. Um, that wasn't your fault. They were that way before you were even a tiny little tadpole swimming through the pipes. So you don't got to worry about that because that's just the way it was. And you can let that go. Uh, the idea that it's your fault, that it's your responsibility, that it's your guilty, sweaty, neurotic duty to do something about this. As I said before, te absolvo. It's not necessary. I absolve you of that need. Just let it go um, because you can't move forward with it. Okay, I hope that you found that useful. Uh, we got a, a, a cool little insight into something to do with PTSD um, that I'll do a video about tomorrow that I'm really excited to share with you. So uh, please tune in tomorrow and we're going to be talking about an alternative way of looking at the PTSD and complex PTSD problem um, and hopefully come up with some new uh, functional solutions. Thank you very much for your time and your attention. I hope you enjoyed that and I will speak to you soon. Cheers.